Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 38 in our time together this morning. Um, and there is a bulletin insert, which might also be of some help to you to look at as we're working through this. Um, we, we want to um, focus on what is most germane there, with, with, with a passage like this, as Tim had mentioned, there's all kinds of controversial views of those that are committed to the scriptures on different things. And we, we are not going to get tied into all that. We just want to look at the big picture in our time together. When I, um, when I turn on my computer, I don't know if you've had this, but it comes up often. It says alert. And it either says winter storm watch or winter storm warning. Do you guys get that too? Or is it just me? Okay. Just me. Okay. Whatever. So, um, I wasn't quite sure what the difference was. So I, I Googled it. The official answer to everything is by Googling it, right? And, um, it, it, and it said that a winter storm watch means that the weathermen think that the storm may come our way the way it's going to come, but they're not sure. So we're just watching. Whatever that means. But. A winter storm warning means, at least from their perspective, as much as they can know, it's coming. And you need to be ready for it. When we come to Luke chapter 21, Jesus is going to tell the Jews and humanity that it's a storm warning. It's not a storm watch. And you know what? Jesus never gets his forecast wrong. <laughs> That's the big difference. Well, notice how the passage begins here in verse 5 of chapter 21. Jesus will be explaining this. It says, now, and while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, they're in the temple. Jesus has been talking, and they're, they're starting to come out of the temple and some, or they're in the temporary, and somebody around says, hey, isn't this beautiful, this temple? And, and now for us, the temple might not mean a whole lot, but for the Jew in the first century, it was everything. Here's, here's just a map of first century Jerusalem. Notice how significant the temple is in the city itself. Do you see that? I mean, it's not like, oh, you know, one one hundredth of the city. It's major. Here's another shot of the actual temple complex itself. It runs, if you would put, you could put about 24, 25 football fields in there. Just, just to kind of get a feel for how big this thing is. 35, 36 acres is the size of this thing. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Although the bulk of it was actually constructed over a period of about eight and a half, nine years. They continued to do work. I mean, it was started in 20 BC, right, right around 20 BC, work was begun. They continued to do work and upgrading on this thing up until just shortly before the whole thing was destroyed in 70 AD. It's amazing, actually about 64, 65. It's an amazing, amazing thing. I mean, to us, it's like no big deal. But So they're walking along and they're saying, Jesus, look at how beautiful this is. Oh, there's another slide. 
That is just of the temple proper. And again, I don't know if you can see, there's a little box up there on the right side. It says American football field. You could get about three and a half football fields just in that. I mean, it's big. And someone's just saying, isn't this marvelous? And, and, and look at what Jesus says. Jesus says this here in verse 6. He said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. Do you know the stones in the temple ranged from anywhere from about two tons, two to three tons, to 80 tons? I mean, they're huge. And Jesus says, you see all the stuff? There won't be one stone left on another. It's all coming down. Well, for the people listening, this was like way, way, way over the top. So they asked a pretty good question. They questioned him saying in verse 7, Teacher, when therefore will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And what Jesus does, and you know, let's go ahead and throw up that next slide. And, and again, I, I, uh, the one after that. Ah, that's the one. That's the one. I want to be real careful, so I've tried to be kind of real open and only say what I can say and not say more than I can say. All right, so that's all I'm trying. And it's still pretty complicated, isn't it? All right, because there are a couple time indicators. Jesus dies around 30 AD. So he's giving this prediction about 30 AD. What we know for sure is the Jerusalem temple is destroyed in 70 AD. And in this passage, Jesus is going to talk about what's called the times of the Gentiles. And there's all kinds of debates on what that all means. But it's my opinion that we are still in the times of the Gentiles. Then he's going to talk about climactic signs and the second coming of Christ. And he's going to talk about the besieging of the city as the sign that the city is going to be destroyed. Okay, so that's kind of what he, what he talks about. And sometimes people look at this and say, wait a second. Weren't they just asking Jesus about the temple being destroyed? Like, what's Jesus doing all that stuff for? And what you find is, with their question, Jesus gives them a view of God's sovereign judgment upon both the nation and the world in one sweep. He actually gives them more than they were asking for when he actually tells, tells this story. So it's, 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 it's massive, it's huge. And honestly, there's debates with a variety of things all along the way. But that's kind of, I just, just as we kind of talk our way through here, I want you to know that. The other thing he talks about, he's going to talk about persecution of believers, and he's going to talk about wars and natural disasters that are going to kind of run right through everything. Does that kind of make sense? All right. I'm just going to leave, we're going to just leave that up there, Mark, as a backdrop as we kind of read through here. And, and what I don't want to do is have you go around here, out here saying, now, wait a second now. 30 AD, 70 AD, second coming times of the Gentiles. You'll forget some of that stuff. The big question is this. How should we then live in light of this? And Jesus is going to tell us. All right. So notice what he says here in verse 8. 
And he said, see to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand, and do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. These things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Don't you even find it in our day? That people will say, I know Jesus is coming back like any tomorrow. <laughs> now, Jesus can come back whenever he wants. That's his time plan. But the idea that people think it has to be right now is something that has been an issue with Christianity since the beginning. And, and part of that is really good because the coming of Christ is always impending. So that's good. It's just when I watch people sometimes who say, I'm certain that with what's going on over in Israel and all right now, it's going to be right here. I'm thinking like, don't do that. Do not do that. Trust me, people have been saying that for a long time. Don't do that. Say it could, but it might. Don't, don't be too strong on the whole thing. Particularly what Jesus is talking about here. As you got closer to 70 AD, there were prophets coming left and right, left and right, saying, because they knew all the pressure was coming on, and you had guys stepping up saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'll save the nation of Israel from the Romans. And another guy saying, no, 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 that'll be me over here, follow me. And Jesus says, look, guys, just expect it. As things get closer like that, there's going to be all these kind of would-be messiahs coming on the scene. Stay away from them. Because Jesus is the Messiah. And when he ultimately comes, there won't be any question about it. So be careful. Don't be deceived. Then he continued, verse 10, saying to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and plagues and famines and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Look, don't be surprised with catastrophes. Don't be, be surprised with political upheaval. It's part of the world in which we live. He's going to tell them that if they approach 70 AD, and I think we could say by way of application, it's still true today. But he says this to his disciples, verse 12. And this is the passage I want us to camp out with a little bit, verses 12 to 18, 19. Listen to what he says. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead, though, to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance you will gain your lives wow folks we've all been gripped by 
the murder of what, some 21 Coptic Christians by ISIS just, just this, this week? Well, very, very recently. And um, you look at those kinds of things and, and your heart breaks for the evil, the opposition that we see in our world. But it's all around the world. You, you know, I, 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 a guy did, a missionary guy was telling me several years back, I've never forgotten it. He said, Doug, if you take all of the martyrs of Christianity up through 1900, okay, and compare that to all the martyrs in the 1900s, there have been more martyrs in the 1900s going, going into our century than there were in all of those 1900s, 1900 centuries before. That just really took me back. Really? All around the world. And Jesus is looking at his disciples, specifically in light of 70 AD coming, and he's saying, guys, yes, the world is going to seem unsettled, and all kinds of people are going to say, follow me, follow me, don't, don't do it. But I want you to know something. Prior to all that, you're going to be persecuted. And I want you to know something. The people that are most precious to you are the ones that are going to turn you in. But I want you to know something else. You are privileged to testify on account of my name. And I will so be with you that when you are scared and unsure what to say, when they are going to kill some of you, all those kinds of things are going to happen. But I want you to know something. I am right there with you. I will even give you the words to say at those times. I am right there. Yes, is the world turned upside down? Yes. But I am with you because you are testifying to me. This verse 18 has always set me on my heels. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. I think I probably mentioned that before. People are dying. So what's that mean? You know, when I'm in the grave or, or in my casket and they look at me, they'll say, hey, Finkbeiner's hair looks real nice. <laughs> but I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> like, I, I'm thinking, like, wh what good's that passage? It's actually quite powerful when you think about it. Is it true that God's people, some will die as they are privileged to testify for his name? Yep. But he uses this expression in verse 18 to say, even in that entire process, God is so watching over you that nothing, not even one hair of your head, nothing will happen apart from the watch care of the God who is for you. Isn't that wonderful? But on the surface, you're either like, well, that doesn't encourage me a whole lot. It encourages us a whole lot when you begin thinking about it. I was thinking about this. How well am I testifying for Christ? How well are we testifying for Christ? You know, I... I, I I watch myself sometimes and I get caught up in my routines. I'm going to Lancaster during the week. I'm coming here in the weekends. I got basketball games with my kids. I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. 
And, and I'm just into it. I'm not, I'm not trying to like disobey or dishonor Christ. I'm trying to honor him and through the whole process. But sometimes I have to pull back and say, Finkbeiner, to whom are you testifying? The wonder of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has died for us, and King of kings and Lord of lords. And sometimes I get swept up with the busyness of life. And I don't know if you're like me, but I don't testify the way I should. Is it just me? Think of believers around the globe who have given their life to testify for Christ, and I can't make time for it in my busy schedule? Doesn't make much sense. Now, I know many of you are actively involved in it, and you know what I want to say? Stay at it. But I have to just tell you, I'm reading this passage, and I'm convicted. I'm just convicted. It's about me. And to get up every day and say, God, grant me opportunities and let me take those opportunities to tell the wonder of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of all this uncertainty and all this stuff stirring around, the temple that's going to be destroyed and wars and would-be messiahs, Jesus tells his people, testify of me and I will give you the words. And whatever happens, nothing will come to you apart from it coming through my hands. I will not allow anything to happen to you that I don't permit. Folks, that's freeing, isn't it? What he does then in verse 20, he's going to now specifically talk about the destruction of the temple, 70 AD. And he's going to say, you know how you're going to know that the temple is going to be destroyed? When the Romans besiege it, it's happening. You know what they made me think of? Go back in the Old Testament. How many times were the prophets saying to the nation, God is going to send you an exile. You've got to stop. You've got to stop. And people said, oh, no way. God's here. The temple, the temple, the temple. And they didn't listen, did they? No, no, no. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and besiege this place. No, 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 no. We'll be, no, 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 he is. You've got to be ready. And he says, when you see it besieged again, it's the end. So look what he says here. Verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Let those who are in Judea Flee to the mountains. Don't even get near the city, you know? I mean, flee, go. Let those who are in the midst of the city depart, and let not those who are in the country enter the city. I mean, stay as far away from it as you can, because when it's besieged, destruction is coming. Because these are days of vengeance, in order that all the things which are written may be fulfilled. Back in Luke chapter 11, Jesus was invited to a meal with some Pharisees. <laughs> My wife and I were reading that this morning, and I guess we shouldn't have chuckled, but we chuckled at one point because Jesus is talking about, woe to you Pharisees in the midst of that. The scribes are saying, oh, you offend us when you say woe to those guys. And Jesus says, well, woe to you too, you know. And then he goes and starts you know, nailing them all the way down. But he gets to the end, he says, look, the problem with the leadership of Israel. 
is you've had this ongoing track record where you have just attacked God's prophets and I will send apostles to you. You will attack them too and you will fill up the wrath of God and he will pour out that wrath upon the nation in 70 AD. And that's what he's talking about. The days of vengeance are coming. Verse 23 Woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. If you have any young children or babies, you can imagine how inconvenient that would be. Right? I mean, you know, when our kids were like really, really young, we're always thinking about we got to get home for naps and then we got to feed them. At a, you know what I mean? I mean, like you're on this tight schedule trying to figure out. And Jesus is saying, look, Young mother nursing a child in the city of Jerusalem when it's being besieged in 70 AD? Man, it's a terrible time. And there will be, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles till the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. When is that time fulfilled? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Is there a time period where a patient, gracious God is waiting? At the end of which he will say, the world now will face my wrath. In that period of time, I will extend mercy. The gospel will go out. Many, 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 many folks will come to faith in Christ and I will be merciful to them and save them and deliver them and all those wonderful things. But at some point, the wrath of humanity will fill up and God will say, judgment will come. But I don't know when that is. I just know he talks about it. And so he jumps from there to this final climactic event in verse 25. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and upon the earth dismay among the nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heaven will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. That is not a pleasant thought for them. Do you see that? The entire inhabited world, there will be this time period in the, in the future where it is going to be absolutely clear this is not just a bad time. This is the worst of times. Natural disasters, the whole thing, it just gets up so much that there's no question. And Jesus says within that context, I will come. Look what he goes on to say. When these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. The world is going, oh no! And the saints of God are saying, finally! Do you see? How long, oh Lord? Tim preached on that message and. Luke 17 and 18, remember? And how long? So we cry for justice and deliverance because we know Jesus. 
And the world cries because judgment is coming. See, I came out here on Sunday morning just to hear all this. Well, it's what God is doing in the world. He ends by giving a short parable, an analogy, an allegory, if you will. He told them a parable. Behold, fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, I will have to tell you that the most difficult thing to interpret and understand in that passage is what in the world he means by this generation. That's the truth. Oh, man. And I thought, well, I could put up another slide. I would just thoroughly confuse you on all the options. Um, so I'll try to make it really simple. It either means the generation that precedes 70 AD or the generation that precedes the Christ's coming or possibly both if you see this generation as a kind of people, wicked people that God is going to judge. Which is it? Not sure, but I lean toward the last position. It's a tough one. It's a really, really tough text. But this is what's true. Jesus is saying this. When you see a fig leaf with leaves, you know fruit is coming. When you see these things begin to happen, the fact that, 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 that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, you know what that tells us? That tells us that a God who is faithful to his words will also be faithful to the coming of Christ. The one is a precursor of the other. And he's telling us, just like when you see these things, you know that's coming, we could say, because 70 AD has happened, we know there's a coming of Christ. Because they all feed right into each other. If you have the start of it, you have the whole thing. Jesus doesn't get any of it wrong. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. Young people, old people, middle-aged people, wherever you want to put yourself. You know what he tells us? This is happening. This will happen. And I want you to testify to me whether you are living in Egypt and you might lose your life, or Iraq, or Iran, or North Korea or whether you live in Washington, New Jersey. Testify. It says one other thing as the text comes to an end. Look at what he says here in verse 34. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and worries of life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. You know, when you live in a world that's upside down, or if you only live for the here and now, don't you find yourself tied up into those very things? Dissipation and drunkenness? Hey, man, I just need a break. Right? Or the worries of this world, which just begins to overwhelm us. Whether you look at the political scene, down to, am I going to lose my job? And Jesus says... My people, be very careful. Because the tendency 
will be to live for the here and now and to slip into drunkenness and dissipation or just downright anxiety and worry. Instead, live in light of what's going to happen. Keep on the alert, verse 36, at all times. Praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things for them looking to 70 A.D. that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. How should we live? Folks, is that true? Well, yeah, okay. Some of the things you might disagree with. But is, is the basic scheme true? Yes. 70 A.D. is a foretaste of what is coming. If this is all true, how should we live? We should live consumed with Jesus, testifying of him, knowing he's with us, knowing he'll protect us. Thinking about the fact that the king is coming, so I don't have to find my purpose and meaning in the here and now. I don't need the dissipation, the drunkenness, or the worry. I'm consumed with him. And that changes everything. I um, forget this on a consistent basis. Turn on the TV, I get caught up with sports. Flip on my computer, I get caught up with the latest movies or, or the latest gadgets or the latest this or the latest that. And before I know it, Doug Finkbeiner is just living for the here and the now. And I, I do Sunday. I happen to preach on Sundays. So I do Sunday. But am I consumed with what really counts? Christ. Testifying of him. Prayerfully staying alert and realizing that it's not about the here and now. It's about him. The one who is coming. They're good words, aren't they? They're hard words. They're not all pleasant things. I know that. I don't like talking about judgment. But it's part of God's plan. And may God, if you know Jesus Christ, may he just well up in you this passion to be focused on him and what he's doing in this world. And if you don't know him, our prayer is that you will bow the knee to this blessed Lord Jesus Christ who will forgive you of your sins and bring you into the family of God that quickly. Isn't that wonderful? You have no excuse. Father.